when I come back from a bike ride, there's really nothing you can do to make me mad. Right. I mean, I, it's, it makes, it's my happy place. You know, I, I like to run, but I come back from a run and I'm, you know, I'm happy about what happened. I probably feel fat and slow because that's generally how I feel running. <laughs> but, but with mountain biking or uh, gravel bike, you know, even on the road, you know, I, I, it's rare I ever, well, I don't come back upset. This episode of the Ben and Bikes podcast is brought to you by Dr. Squatch Natural Soap for Men. Let's face it, chaps, after a long day in the saddle, we stink. Now you can upgrade your shower game with Dr. Squatch Natural Soap. You want to smell like the forest? There's pine tar. You want to smell like the sea? There's nautical sage. And if you want to smell like you just got off a boat in the Caribbean, there's bay rum. Visit drsquatch.com. That's D-R-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H dot com for more detail. And now to this week's episode of Ben and Bikes. You're listening to Ben and Bikes with your host, Ben Lockett. This podcast is about bikes but more about the people who ride them and their stories, and less about frame size, shock technology, or even the Tour de France. This is Ben and Bikes, where every bike tells a story. Nike was founded by Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight, both keen runners and waffle fans, as it turns out. Trek was founded by Richard Burke, a keen cyclist, and GoPro was founded by Nick Woodman, so he could take rad movies while he was surfing. My guest today is Josh Clay, more on that later, Sprague, a competitive endurance athlete who is the founder of Orange Mud, a manufacturer of some very unique running, biking, and lifestyle brands. From a garage-built prototype through to global distribution using his website, orangemud.com, and countless retailers the company now has hundreds of happy customers around the world. Sounds like a dream come true, but I suspect this journey has been like an endurance race itself for Josh, his family, and his team. As many ups as there are downs, with nothing but guts, grit, and determination to get him there. Note uh, my Leadville reference there to Ken Clauber. Sure. Right. So Josh Sprague, Welcome to the Ben and Bikes podcast. Thanks for having me on. Looking uh, forward to it. Looking forward to it too. Uh, thank you for having me uh, to your house as well. Yeah, sure, man. Uh, this, this is actually the uh, second time in three episodes where I've been able to do this face-to-face, which I much prefer. Yeah, I'm with you there. No doubt. So you actually have your own podcast as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Orange Mud Adventure Channel. The Orange Mud Adventure Channel. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. So with Orange Mud Adventure Channel, we you know, we sponsor hundreds of races. And a lot of times I just don't know, like, what am I going to do? Like, what what can we bring to the table for the events aside from products and cash and freebies and all yeah. that sort of stuff, which is all neat, but whatever. It, right. The reach it sometimes isn't that good, right? right? So we thought selfishly, there's a lot of times where I do a race like Dirty Kansas or I wanted to learn more about it selfishly for my mm-hmm. own self. Uh, Leadville, I wanted to learn more about the race. Um, so with both examples, we had the race directors on to go through my own personal questions that just happened to be something that I knew probably thousands of other people had questions about too. Um, and it, you know, it was very entertaining too, just to learn about the history and, yeah. and, and some of the ideas and such behind it. But it's been a really neat mechanism to increase our overall um, 
uh, knowledge base to our audience about you know, triathletes maybe wanting to learn more about endurance in the ultra space or ultra want to learn about triathlon, triathlon training and mountain bikers want to get into gravel. So it's been kind of a, a fun little random path forward into uh, just a, a broad endurance knowledge. Cool. So uh, you interviewed Ken and Merrily. Yeah, I did. Nice. I did yeah. the same thing in March. Nice. Yeah, they're awesome people. Aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they're crazy. Yeah. They, Still. Ken is certifiable, I'm quite sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt. <laughs> did you, did you, I, I, and when I was doing some research for this podcast, I saw that you actually put a movie together about Leadville for yeah. this year's race, right? Yeah, for this year's mountain bike course. Excellent. It was awesome. Yeah. It was way too much fun. Did you do the race? Yeah, yeah, I did it the past two years. And uh, and then, yeah, it was in the video as well. I mean, it, uh, it it's something that some people may knock on Leadville saying it's big and corporate You know, I, I encourage people to go up there and see. Yeah. Um, I just don't believe them. I don't, I believe they're wrong. You know, I'm a huge fan of the race. I'm a huge fan of the organization. Um, maybe they've had issues in the past, but from what I've seen the last three years being there, it, it's incredible that yeah. the people from around the world that come in for it, are truly incredible people. Yeah. And and then again, the race directors too, they have the passion and energy for it just as it's always had. Yeah, so I was uh, very honored uh, in that. I actually went up on the day, on the night before the race and on the day of the race. Nice. And interviewed athletes yep. in, in town at the start, uh, during the race and at the finish. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was blown away by like the different backgrounds of people. Yeah. Uh, sure, you've got the, you know, the uh, Uber athletes out at the front, mm -hmm. but, you know, back, you know, through those corrals all the yeah. way to the back of the race, there are so many people with so many different stories to tell. Yeah, it, it's not a typical race where everybody's walking around strutting just how cool their spandex right. is and their muscles are popping out or whatever. You know, it's it really is. It's honestly, it's a bunch of hacks that are having a good time. They put in a lot of work into getting there. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's. It's definitely a funny sport because you, you you find a lot of people in the mountain bike race that you know got the big old beer bellies on them, but they can throw down and freaking motor on the mountain bike. That's right. You know, it's not like that's it's right. they may not be front of the pack, but they can kick your butt. Yeah. And and that's really what it's all about. It's still about having a good time. There's a lot of people come up there with their buddies. They're all pumped because it's, I mean, like for me, I it's always was a race that I mean I've done well over 100 mountain bike races. I've quit counting and. Right. And to me, it's always a race I wanted to do, but I didn't live out here until just a few years ago. And I just kind of chalked it off to, oh, it's a road race because I've had friends tell me that before. And and then when I went and actually sponsored it the first year, I was like, man, this this isn't just a road race. This yeah. is an event. Oh, this yeah. is a really cool setup here. Yeah. And and I was so pumped to again to race at the last and complete it the last two years. Yeah. Um, and I kind of plan on doing it for a long time. I, mean, uh, I, I really enjoy the camaraderie. Yeah, the course could be more single track, but what do you expect? There's 2,500 yeah. riders out there. It's about the camaraderie and the town and just the event in itself, um, you know, just as much as it is the trail. Yeah. Have to ask yeah. what time. So this year was 11.05. Last Solid. year was 11.10. So I, I was slightly faster this year. I, uh, the heat this year, it kicked my butt. Okay. I, I got a little sideways on electrolytes and um, I really thought I could break 10 this year. I was in way better shape than last year. And, um, you know, I started doing this ketogenic diet a few months ago and I think, you know, I didn't honestly, it's kind of, I did the diet, but I didn't really research the diet, like some of the do's and don'ts. And I, I didn't kick up sodium intake and I'm guessing that's why I actually cramped for the first time mm -hmm. mountain bike racing in 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, granted I got a little sideways with electrolytes, but I should have been able to be fine. I, it was just one of them ones where 
I'm still ticked about it. Yeah. But that being said, it was still a great event and I, I did enjoy it. And I had to work for it. Last year, I didn't have I I didn't feel I had to work that hard. I and I probably just forgot. But <laughs> this year, I have yet to forget. I had to dig this year. I had to I had to dig deep, as crazy Ken says. Uh it, it took a lot of work. <laughs> it was a good impression. Yeah. And if you'd like to listen to the uh to the episode of uh my interviews with the athletes, go to benandbikes.com uh, and you can find that episode on there. So Josh Sprague, this is about you and your company. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me a little bit about, about you at this point. Sure. So for me, I, I guess, um, I don't know, I'm kind of simple guy, I guess. I, I love to uh, do a lot of endurance sports. It's always been my thing. I'm never, I've never been that fast of a guy, uh, but I'm good at doing really long stuff. It's kind of been where I found a sweet spot. And um, my background was largely kind of adventure racing is the start. And then uh, through that, it's, you know, it's bike, run, swim, kayak, navigation, and some maybe some rope work, but I've always found mountain biking to be my sweet spot mm. and it's what is my pure passion. That's what I love. Um, and I found all the training and adventure racing. My teammates were like, Hey man, we got to run this week. And I was like, well, I don't really want to, I kind of want to ride every day. So <laughs> I've, I've rode my bike a lot over the years and, um, and yeah, you know, it's to me, that's where the roots of everything come from are really the endurance side, side of sports. And then, you know, carrying into start in orange mud, um, six years ago, it was really about making packs for endurance athletes mm -hmm. and, and what can we do to make packs that make it easier to do these endurance sports. Yeah. That what, was the whole focus. What did you do before orange mud? Uh, I ran a, a big medical device manufacturing company. Okay. Um, so it was a lot of, uh, a lot of fun stuff, made a lot of insane implants and medical device defense applications, uh, over the years that are all over the world, uh, even on Mars for that matter. But um, but it's uh, it was an amazing career to be a part of and especially to learn a lot about custom manufacturing. I mean, I spent 15 years in it and uh, and I left as the VP and, um, you know, it was kind of crazy to leave a really good job. Mm. But uh, and, you know, go into one where we were barely making any money at all that year where I finally quit three years in. Right. But it's something that this is definitely you know, something I love and it's been a great great path forward ever since yeah but what i have to point out to the listeners that josh's wife is standing about 20 10 yards away yeah. from this interview yeah my sister behind us so i gotta watch out for <laughs> this is your them. sister as well yeah, yeah. Oh, you didn't tell me that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, keep it in the family right? yeah good good stuff so um you probably get asked this question a thousand times yeah but the genesis of uh of uh, orange mud yeah. as the name of the company where did that come from so yeah, so my wife doesn't ever seem to agree that, with this, but I, I think she forgot because my boy at the time was three months old. We just had our first kid and, right. and when we started the business and uh, my middle name's Clay and uh, I wanted to name our boy Clay. And she's like, no, your middle name's a stupid name. Cause I always thought it was a cool name. If it's, you know, it's a middle name, you don't ever use it. And she's like, no, your middle name's a stupid name. We're, um, we're not gonna do that. And- um, I don't believe that she told you your middle name. I swear to God, name. no, she did. And, 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 and yeah. <laughs> It is, she's saying she, she's saying that she did <laughs> it not. It is true. She doesn't remember because we were sleep deprived. Because my boy had not let us sleep for three months. I know that. Yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> but no, you know, I, I I just always thought it was so cool. So so yeah, when when I designed this first little crude concept this yeah. one night, um, I told her, hey, you know, we have this idea. Um, it's probably going to cost fifty thousand bucks. Worst case, we're going to have two backpacks, perfectly designed for us, worth twenty five thousand dollars each. <laughs> and uh, you know, best case, we can actually sell something. That's and by the way, it's going to have my name in it. And she's like, "Whatever, knock yourself out." So, so we did. It took ten months. So we actually launched on October twenty seventh, which is coming up this Saturday. 
um, our first product six years ago. Mm. And um, yeah, that night I went online on GoDaddy and I bought 43 domain names and I tried to get clay to work. And I own seven clay and clay works and clay vine and burn clay. I bought like, all these dang domain names, but about five drinks of wine later that night, um, orange mud, you know, clay is a mud uh, where I grew up in Kansas is reddish orange right. and can be, you know, gray back there too. Um, and that's how kind of the clay evolved to another name. And, uh, you know, Orange Mud came about because I, I really wanted to have something with that trail focus. You know, trails are what I love. I'm not a road guy right. uh, per se. And um, so, yeah, that's how Orange Mud came about. Wow. Started with the word clay and got molded into Orange Mud. Right. There's a video on your website. Yeah. And I was trying to work out where you, A, where you got the deck furniture from yeah. to go on the top of a mountain. Yeah. Also. Very impressive. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, what's the view? Is that California behind? That was. That okay. was our house in Corona. Okay. Um, well, that was above our house. But yeah, we used to live in Corona and there's this old road called Bedford Motorway. Um, it, uh, it's a hell of a gravel grind to go or just a mountain bike ride for that matter. It's steep, 20% right. incline on parts of it, loose, bouldery, baby head gravel. Um, I always have to be fit just to be able to ride it. Right. <laughs> you just can't go ride it on a hack day. Uh, but we drove up to the top of the hill that night and, um, and yeah, we brought the deck furniture in the back of my forerunner and set up and recorded up top. And it was, it was cool. It was a cool sunset. Right. It's a cool video. So, so it sounds to me like that you get to start companies, but your wife gets to name your children is what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause when my daughter Lexi was born, I was like, okay, so it needs to be Alexi, Alexis Clay or something. She's like, no. So yeah, I lost that argument too. Um, but I did marry a lawyer. Now, now she, you know, is CFO here. But um, I generally do win many arguments. It's not often I lose, but I, I lost twice in a row. I like we left. Like, it was like we were leaving the hospital right. with my daughter, and they're like, "So you have to sign the birth certificate." And I was like, "Come on!" And she's like, "No." So, yeah, I lost twice. I don't believe that you win most arguments. I, I just I do. find that I really so, do. So. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> believe it or not, but yeah, it's I, that's why I can't exactly. believe I lost. I'm getting these looks from over here again. <laughs> um, she's calling bullshit on yeah, that one. That's uh, true. Right. Story of my life. So uh, uh, let's talk about Orange Clay uh, yep. and the and the products that you make here. So yep. give us a good insight into into the products that that you offer. Sure. So yeah. So. 70% of our, really our product offering or our revenue is based upon our packs. So yep. uh, we started with packs made for runners. It was, that was kind of the, the starting point. And then again, my passion is biking. So I, I, I love running too, but it's, I love biking. So uh, we came out with bladder-based packs uh, for cyclists and even a flask-based pack for cyclists and runners. And then uh, we have a really cool product called the Transition Seat Wrap. It's a changing towel and seat cover um, that we've sold a bazillion of. And it's uh, basically a big beach towel with a zip on hoodie that you put over your headrest after you get a uh, done with exercise so you can sit on your seat without your towel falling off and then it has a belt built into it so you can put it on and not have your towel fall off, off yeah. your, your pants so right. um that's been and really that was what really got us off the ground you know carving out uh, a niche in the pack industry took work especially mm. when you have truly novel and innovative ideas you would think people would just jump all over it um <laughs> It just doesn't work like that. Uh -uh. You know, it takes a heck of a lot of marketing to get people to understand, like, what is it exactly? And why do you like we make our bottle based packs, the bottle mounts behind your neck and and people just didn't understand that. They're like, well, bottles go on your chest. Why would you put them on your back? I'm like, well, why would you put bottles on your chest? Right. And they're like, well, because that's where they that's what people do. I'm like, but why do you wear a backpack on your chest? No, that's why we put the bottle back here. Right. Uh, but it, it, there's there's things like that that were very frustrating in the beginning. And when we launched this towel, um, 
it, it's just unbelievable what it did. I mean, it's huge international recognition, let alone across the U.S. and and uh, and it's multi-purpose. It's good for run, bike, try, swim, anything. You sweat. Yeah. Um, but in the end, our packs are still my baby. That's what I love. Um, it's what I've got a whole table full of prototypes right over there that I've been working with. And uh, and that's that's really our niche is we want to make packs that ride high on your body, are very breathable, built to last, right. uh, which is arguable with many packs on the market, um, and, uh, and then really functional for all your key essentials. Yeah. I'm taking a break from the Ben and Bikes podcast to allow People for Bikes, one of my amazing sponsors, to tell you about the work they are doing to support you, the bike rider, across the country. Sign up for details at peopleforbikes.org forward slash Ben. Every day, two dozen People for Bikes staffers go to work at our Colorado headquarters, in the field, and in Washington, D.C. Our team focuses on making every bike ride safer, easier to access, and more fun. Several months ago, we reported on a change to the Oregon bike tax. Under this revised law, a $15 tax is collected on all bicycles that retail for $200 or more including kids' bikes. Proceeds from the tax help fund bike and pedestrian projects. So, how is the bike tax going? Not as great as the state had hoped. When the bike tax was introduced, revenue was projected to be slightly more than a million dollars per year. The Oregon Department of Revenue has since revised these estimates by about 50%, anticipating closer to $500,000 a year instead of a million. But actual collections may still fall short of this benchmark. At the end of August, the tax had generated less than $300,000. Even with a boost in back-to-school bike sales, the tax seems unlikely to deliver the funds originally projected. Oregon's bike tax is an experiment in trying to generate transportation dollars from bike sales. Its disappointing performance may prevent similar proposals from moving forward in other states. To keep track of bike-related legislation in your hometown, join People for Bikes at peopleforbikes.org ben. It's free and helps make bike riding better for everyone. So I'm a keen mountain biker myself, mm-hmm. and I find that one of the biggest challenges with a backpack is that it bounces all over the place. Yep. Um, how do you address that? So we have two points of attachment on the sides, uh-huh. uh, which control stability. And then the way they attach on the sides, it actually pulls from the front of your shoulder. So the side attachment pulls from the front of your shoulder, if that makes any sense. Um, and by anchoring on the front of your shoulder, it keeps the pack from moving. Yeah. Uh, so when you're hitting choppy stuff in a corner or going downhill, yeah. uh, it just doesn't move. And then we have two elastic chest straps. So we don't have this nylon chest strap that's rigid and doesn't stretch. So when you breathe, it actually breathes with you. Right. So it's constantly under constraint, but yet it's loosely, yeah, arguably, it's loosely held on your chest. So there's no breathing restriction mm. and it's extremely stable. And then to boot, everybody carries their phone anymore. We have pockets up front for your phone, backup nutrition, kind of those key essentials you need to grab on the fly that you don't ever want to stop and reach back and take your pack off to be able to get them. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's really how we stand out different. In Do you make designs that are separate for a, a runner compared to a biker? I and mean, how do those two no, things differ? No, fortunately, you know, with designs, we, we try to reduce skews as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So like our, our gear vest, like this one setting on the table here, um, we have done extremely well in the gravel grind space with that because mm-hmm. you can still access your jersey, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually the same with a couple of our other packs, but but that's a big favorite. Um, but this works just as well with runners because it, it rides extremely stable. It doesn't move. It doesn't slide side to side. Small footprint means you're getting all this heat off your body, maximum breathability, and then access to all your essentials in the front and the shoulder pockets. And the shoulder pockets are a really cool feature of ours that are on all of our packs. 
uh, runners and bikers like too. So we've been very fortunate to make packs that work for both spaces uh, at this time. You know, it, maybe at some point we'll make uh, one with like a back shield in case you hit the ground or something mm. like that. But I think some of that's just kind of overplayed with what it like some of the some of the things I see are just get over marketed on yeah. uh, the market. We try not to throw things on packs that are BS features. We try to really have real features that are really tie in with what you do on an everyday basis. Right. Where do you manufacture these products? Everything now pack wise is made in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. When we started, we made everything in the US and then we started migrating to Mexico as so we started kind of outgrowing some of the US supply. Um, and you know, some of the challenges with that are they're, they're pretty big making things locally. Obviously cost is way higher mm. and is hard in itself. Um, but a lot of it's accessibility to materials, accessibility to design teams uh, that can help us out that that know more than we do. You know, I mean, I, I definitely have learned a lot over the years with design and stuff and, and can get things, you know, 99%. I mean, I'm a pretty good sewer now. I can sew pretty much anything from scratch to finish. Uh, but when it comes to, Hey, you know, there's this one feature I want to do, but I don't know how I can do it. I don't know a hardware I can use, or I don't know if this material will be strong enough. What do you think? And I have a 70 person team at my disposal overseas, mm. uh, that can help me out. And, you know, here in the States, I had one guy. So it's, you know, when your sample size is one versus 70, the knowledge base is less. And then in the U S uh, you know, again, everybody really beats that USA made and how awesome it is. And I love it too. We still make some things in the U S uh, I personally still make th some things here that we sell. Um, but that being said, you know, there, there are times that the knowledge base just isn't here. What's being made in the U S in the pack industries for medical and military, that's what they need because it costs so much to make in the U S that you, you have to have these people that are going to pay you $400 for a backpack. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it just comes down to, you know, it, it just depends on what you want. Do you want to, you want to buy it in the U S okay. Will you pay $500 for an everyday backpack to go mountain biking? Okay. Well, if you won't, then yeah. I got to do something. And so there's a reason why a lot of things go overseas, but I think, you know, a lot of consumers, myself included over the years, maybe don't always realize that the, the finding people to help you in the U S can be significantly more challenging than you would ever imagine in the way that will actually make a sustainable business model, yeah. uh, you know, to be so, successful. So, but having said that, how big is your U S team? Uh, you know, on the manufacturing side, we were no, with? just employees. How oh, employees here between, um, our internal crew and, and, uh, you know, social and bookkeeper CPA and all that. We've got about 15, yeah. I think somewhere around that, right. uh, the independent reps and such. Yeah. So, uh, we, we try to run a pretty lean operation as much as humanly possible. And, you know, for us, it's all about, you know, how do we scale and scale smart and, and still be able to work you know, efficiently with everybody. Yeah. All the reasons that you stated about why you need to manufacture in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Uh, are, are precisely the reasons for, for many companies, as you said. Yeah. But I think also, you know, you, you, you still have to, you need a team in the U.S. in yeah. order to do your legal, in order to do your finance, in order to do your sales, in order to do your yeah. R&D. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, you're still generating jobs for American people. Yeah, um, and, and, and yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like on, on our side, um, we moved all pack manufacturing to Vietnam uh, we received our first shipments last year in May. Right. And again, we've been in business six years as of this Saturday, uh, selling products and, um, the amount of extra money I put into the economy, I can tell you it's, it's well into the tune of six figures, right. well into the tune of when I kept it in the U S. Right. Um, and, and that money that I put extra into the economy, albeit great, um, that slowed our growth. 
I mean, it's you only have so much cash to go around. You know, yeah. it's all about cash flow. So right. when we went overseas, it opened up our ability to uh, carry more colors of products, you yeah. know, increase our overall uh, quantity of products that we carry, ensure that we have room for international distribution, yeah. uh, which has been a huge growth model for us. We've you know, had 15 countries really build up strong this year and more coming. Um, and, you know, aside from that, it, it really, you know, opens my eyes to more more projects that we can bring into that fit our brand and mm -hmm. our, our culture where before I didn't have the budgets or time and, and thoughts for a lot yeah. of this. So it's, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's been amazing. And you know, the only hard part is every night I go to bed or I get ready to go to bed and it's usually, um, you know, Skype, WhatsApp and whatever other communications are out there with China and Taiwan and Vietnam and whatnot. But, um, but it's, it's been a good problem to have for sure. And, and again, our Vietnam guys are amazing. Um, you know, we, we really are trying to keep it all there because we, the factories are awesome. You know, yep. they get multiple breaks, they get food, you know, supplied. I mean, it's, it's very clean. It's not a, it's not a sweatshop like people imagine. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a factory that specializes in high-end backpacks. That's what they do. Good. Um, so if you think back six years mm -hmm. uh, to when you came in and told your wife, whose name is? Beth. You should have asked that. Yeah. When you when you came and you said to Beth, I'm going to drop 50 grand on making two backpacks. Yeah. Uh, and she probably fainted on the floor at that point. But I'm sure was in turn very supportive. <laughs> she actually was Good. surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, if, if you could if you could say something to, to that person yeah. six years ago, what, what would you say to them? She's. Uh, Pretty much the same as I said then. I really don't know what I'm doing, but I think it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> stick with it. Yeah, stick with it. Yeah, I mean, we 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 really didn't have a plan beyond product one. Right. It, there wasn't one. I mean, we we um, we thought that would be really cool, and and honestly, I thought it would just be a hobby. I, yeah. I just I didn't know if I could come up with a whole bunch more ideas, you know. And um, so yeah, that back then it was it was let's just do this and see what happens. You know, we just had our first kid too. So we were kind of thinking, you know, one of our jobs had to give and um, we both worked very demanding hours. And so our thought was like, it, it'd almost be kind of a side hobby and keep up with shipments. Shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, but as we got it going, we're like, wow, this is actually taking off. And, you know, people are really excited, yeah. right? Like, like the key turning point for us, we had, or the key, thing that made me realize we have a brand and maybe we should put some more energy into this is uh, uh, we had people wanting to buy our hats. Like we launched hats and I thought it was silly because I thought who's going to buy our hat. And we sold a lot of hats in that you know first year we were in business. And that's when I started realizing like, wow, we actually have a brand. You know, people want to buy our product just because it has a logo on it. Mm. That's very strange. Mm. Um, and I still look back at that as that was something that I think a lot of people from the beginning maybe either don't focus on their brand or they don't realize what their brand is doing. If you're if you're if you really are putting your heart and soul into it, people will see it and they and they'll want to help you be successful. But we didn't necessarily see that or maybe have the vision for that in the beginning. It just kind of happened. Yeah. And, and that was probably one of our biggest mistakes is not, you know, kind of maybe growing the ambassador team earlier and and just realizing that, hey, you know what, this is working. We need to make sure we're, you know, giving back as much as we can. Yeah, totally. So on the flip side of that, looking forward, what, what would you say is your like your big, hairy, audacious goal that you want to achieve in the next six years? Oh, man, you know, that's uh, I should probably have something planned out like that. But 
Um, my big goal is is the same as always. Um, it's always this you know forward growth, continuing to uh, blend out our product line into more and more packs for different niches and whatnot, and, and making sure we have a really diverse portfolio and mm-hmm. not just bike or not just run or just try or, you know, it's, it really is kind of this run, bike, try focus with, you know, the general athlete of mind in general, you know, whether it's a gym, whatever, whatever your thing is, CrossFit, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to be diverse. You know, I, I think any business in today's business economy has to be diversified in what you do to be successful. And, and it's really how we've been successful. Our rap got us going. And then, you know, the Hydric River sales started taking off. We come out with a bladder pack and then that started growing into other mediums. And, and it, it's just been amazing. All the different types of sports that have bought into our gear, uh, even just gyms that yeah. have bought a ton of our custom gear and whatnot. So I, I, I really want to always make sure that as we develop products that, that make us happy internally, it'll make customers happy too. And then we stay diversified in what we do. Got it. I'm taking a break from the Ben and Bikes podcast to tell you more about Dr. Squatch Natural Soap for Men. Made with natural ingredients from the earth like oils, plants, goat's milk, Greek yogurt, and oatmeal. Turn your post-ride shower game up to 11 and get ready to get out of the shower feeling alive. Ship straight to your door, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. And if you sign up for monthly automatic soap delivery, you'll get free shipping on all orders. Visit drsquatch.com, that's D-R-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H.com for more details. And now back to this week's podcast. The listeners to this podcast will know that I, that I ask this question or bring this subject up uh, on a few times, but I get uh, many of my best thoughts when I'm writing a bike. Yeah. Uh, do, is that the same for you when you're yeah. writing it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My wife, even every, every once in a while, she'd be like, uh, I think you need to go for a bike. That's ride. right. Exactly. Especially if I'm a little irritated. Is, that's right. So yeah, I always tell people that, that when I come back from a bike ride, there's really nothing you can do to make me mad. Right. I mean, I, it's, it makes, it's my happy place. You know, I, I like to run, but I come back from a run and I'm, you know, I'm happy about what happened. I probably feel fat and slow because that's generally how I feel running, <laughs> but, but with mountain biking or uh gravel bike, you know, even on the road, you know, I, I, it's rare. I ever, well, I don't come back upset. I'm always happy. Have you ever, so one of my uh, supporters is People for Bikes mm-hmm. out of Boulder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, they have a great movie uh, that they've made called Shed the Monster. Huh, have you I've seen that? I've seen it, no. It's very good. And I'd encourage anyone listening to this podcast to go and check it out. But it's a guy who gets home from work. He's had a really crappy day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes in the house and he changes into Sasquatch. Nice. Right? And and someone in the house tells him to go for a bike ride. Yeah. And he gets on his bike. And as he rides down the road, all these bits of Sasquatch fall nice. off him. Nice. And he ends up just being a regular guy, goes into a coffee shop, gets yeah. his coffee and rides home again. Yep. So that's I'd, I've always got this kind of shed the monster idea in my mind. when If I have one of those crappy days, and my wife says exactly the same thing. Go get on your bike. Yeah. It'll be fine. I come back and life is much better. Yeah. I mean, honestly, most of our products, I should probably make a note. Like when I, when I come back and I have a new product idea, I should note where I was when I thought of it. But yeah. I can tell you 99% of them have come from the bike. Even yeah. our running packs. You know, a lot of times I go on a bike ride. Right. And while I'm on the ride, you know, I'm thinking through like, okay, this one feature isn't working like I want it. How can I make it better? And I have time to think about it. And of course, I think of a lot of these things running too, more because I'm running. And I'm like, that feature sucks. I feel it. <laughs> that's you right. Know? That's so true. But, right. yeah, but on right. the on the bike, though, a lot of times I just have that 
it's like, like a, it's like a absent-minded engaged if that makes any sense you know thought you know you're able to detune everything and focus on what you're doing uh but yet your mind can still be 100 percent engaged in something else yeah. and and um and i and a lot of times i'm listening to a podcast or an right. audiobook while i'm doing it but yet i'm still like oh, okay cool i have this idea and i'll stop my bike and open up evernote and i'll punch in a bunch of ideas and i'll come back from plenty of event of, of rides where you know i have 30 notes done right and, and uh, or I'll take an audio note or something on the fly sometime, but yeah. but I, I generally will punch them into Evernote and then I'll come back and take action on them when I get back and and not to mention I'm just happy, right? You know, so it's a it's a good thing. Yeah, a uh, a recent podcast that I did was with a, a comedian called Mara Marek who mm -hmm. rode her bike from New York to California uh, and awesome. and stopped off at comedy stores along the way <laughs> uh, to raise money for domestic abuse. Um, and uh, I asked her if she got her best thoughts, well, she was her best jokes when she was riding a bike. Yeah. And she said she did, but she was had her memory was so bad that she totally forgotten it by the time yeah. she got home. So this idea of yeah. stopping and and typing something into Evernote or saying something is very smart. Yeah, because it, it's, it is true. Because you come home and you're all happy and you start yeah. talking about your ride and then you have a beer and the next thing you know, it's gone. Yeah. You, know, you don't remember it till the next ride. Yeah. And then you're like, I won't forget today. And then you get back and because I have definitely came back many times where I'm like, dang it, Damn, what did I have? What's that? That such a cool idea. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's all right. Yeah, I take a lot of notes. So well, Mara, if you're listening uh, to this show, uh, there's Josh has just given you a really good piece of advice. Uh, you should <laughs> yep. probably stop what you're doing exactly. and, and write it, write it down. Uh, great. Starting a business um, probably looks like a dream from an American Express ad uh, where <laughs> yeah. ev everything's perfect and it just goes smoothly. Yeah. It's normally a coffee shop or it's a, um, a flower shop or one of those types of deals, right? Yeah. Um, but I suspect that is that is far from the truth. Yes. And I was only half joking when I said that running a business must be very much like running an adventure race or an endurance race of some kind. No, that's very true. What what has been the hardest thing for you? Or what continues yeah. today? What is the hardest thing for you running a business? Yeah, I would say, you know, there it's managing every task that is required. You know, I think a lot of people see the uh, you know, a Kickstarter fund and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I just make a backpack at lunch on a Kickstarter and we'll do half a million dollars. You know, and good luck if you can do that. Right. Um I and I swear there's some like fake it's got to be fake. Some of these ones I see, I'm like, how in the world could that backpack get $500,000? Some of them actually do. Yeah, that's right. Um, we've and the, never and tried the coolers that, right? seem to be doing, yeah. killing it today, right? Yeah. Right. But, but yeah, you know, I, I tell you, some of the biggest challenges are that um, it's it's how, are you, how, how can you be an expert of a million things? Yeah. And today, I was on the sewing machine for a little while. I was working on some Amazon uh, product setup stuff. I was doing some Photoshop editing and some advertising changes in Facebook, trying to troubleshoot some weird app that's working in the back end of our stores, having a weird activation and managing a few different people in India and on some other teams and communicating with some of my overseas people and um, let alone, you know, just working with our own internal crew and whatnot. And, you know, so there's, there's so many times in the day where it's like my focus is literally divided between a hundred things. Mm -hmm. And, and that's any small business. Everybody has that. Um, but you know, it's, and everybody can also easily say, oh, well you just outsource it, but I've outsourced and outsourced and outsourced and 99, I don't even know what the percentage is. It's high. Let's a put lot. it that way. It's a lot that it comes right back to, you got to do it yourself or, you know, <laughs> it's trying to find somebody else, you know, and, 
Uh, and eventually you find the right people. And, you know, we've been fortunate to find the right people in certain mechanisms of our business um, that are fantastic. But then there's other areas where it's like it's a never ending struggle. And then, you know, we give up. And like my sister, I moved her out here from Texas to manage our customer service because the people we were finding uh, just couldn't quite get what we wanted to get out of that role. Right. And uh, and it's been awesome because she's taken to it amazingly well. Uh, but yeah, people are always a challenge, you know, to find the right people for the mix. And um, and then again, there's all the little weird things that happen that we would never think of. We almost lost, we'll call it a brand new Porsche in international wire fraud the other day. It was scary, scary. Um, and Wells Fargo sucks in helping you. Um, we actually got accounts froze in a tired bank personally by calling relentlessly. Mm-hmm. We froze an international bank account. My wife and I, Good. you know, and we got our money back. Good. Um, but it's it's things like that, yeah. you know, things that like it was literally a new Porsche that we would have lost. Mm-hmm. And um, it was one of the scariest points in our business we'd had. And yeah. man, it it I'm pretty technically oriented. I'm pretty good guy. It's got a like, radar up to someone trying to scam me at any given time. And I'm still impressed with the level of fraud that was that happened in this situation. It wasn't a letter from Nigeria. No, no, it wasn't nothing like that. It was somebody hacked one of our suppliers' internal servers and mm. duplicated everything they were doing and knew everything about a shipment we had coming in. And I wired off all the money, just like no big deal, just like normal. Um, and um, yeah, we almost lost a huge amount of money. And, and I mean, that would have been extremely painful. I yeah. mean, we were, we were kind of stressing a little right. bit, but you know, those are the type of things when you when you have a small business, you need to be an expert. And, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, well, it's just small business. But, you know, like I ran a 170 person company. We had a lot of the same problems there. Right. It's almost more. It's people. Right. People are always the challenge, yeah. even in that. Um, but, you know, it's building systems. It's all these little things. So but, you know, the 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 end is that, you know, we work uh, a lot. I mean, we always are working, but. You know, we're able to be more dynamic with what we do with our family. And my kids are homesick. My wife or myself will go upstairs and work with them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and hang out while they're home. You know, it's it's a cool part. You know, you can just do these things and be a little more flexible. And, um, you know, racing, I get to go and sponsor races and race them at the same time. So mm-hmm. I get to have fun and work. And, you know, where else can you do that? So, yeah. you know, it's definitely a mix of enormous amounts of work, but enormous amounts of pleasure. And, uh, yeah, can't complain. Well, great. Uh, thank you very much for spending some time with me in your uh, amazing warehouse. Yeah, sure. Uh, today, I really appreciate it, Josh. Thanks for having uh, me. On. You're a, you're a great example of someone who has taken the idea of something that could be better relating to a sport uh, and and making it better. It's uh, it's I'm great trying. great to see. And six years in, yeah. I think the normal failure points five years. So yeah, you're, you're past that point. Yeah, seven years come January since we incorporated, and yeah. then. Uh, six years in selling products as of October 27th. So, Good. so yeah, we're we're whether those metrics are ever true, I don't know. But I tell you what, they they aligned pretty dang good. good. I mean, it took a while to get that profitability up to where it's like, can we actually live off this business? <laughs> <laughs> it takes enormous amounts, but yeah, yeah we we've been very fortunate. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks much, man. Appreciate good stuff. it. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Ben and Bikes podcast. You'll find this and many other episodes about athletes, authors, filmmakers, and community organizers, all with a story to tell about bikes by visiting benandbikes.com. 
Thank you for listening. We'd sure appreciate it if you could rate and review the Ben and Bikes podcast wherever you listen. We appreciate your support, and thanks for helping us connect with other bike enthusiasts. If you have a bike story to tell, email us, ben at benandbikes.com.